Well, as we come to the final verses of our study through Colossians and the book of Philemon, that has as its focus the sufficiency of Christ in all things, the Apostle Paul writes to Philemon about his former bondservant, Onesimus. Onesimus had skipped town and uh, many believe took with him finances that were not his. They actually belonged to Philemon. He used what he stole to um, finance his escape. And he ends up in Rome. And we're not sure how or why, other than it was just the providence of God that he encounters the Apostle Paul. Paul is in prison there in Rome because uh, they're holding him on charges of uh, disturbing the peace, the Pax Romana, because of a riot in Jerusalem three or four years earlier when he was falsely accused of taking a Gentile into the temple area. That was not true, but it created such a stir the Romans had to arrest him in order to keep him from being beaten to death. They have now taken him to Rome where he is awaiting trial. And so Paul is now writing to churches from prison. And uh, he's about to send out his servant Tychicus to deliver these letters. And along with that is he's going to send this guy Onesimus that belongs to Philemon, is one of his workers. He has met him here in Rome. They have become friends. Um, Onesimus has helped Paul. He has served him. And Paul is saying, yeah, you got to go back and make things right. And so he's pinning this note to his good friend Philemon about this whole situation. So stand with me as we begin reading where we left off last week. Verse 17. If you, talking to Philemon, consider me, Paul, a partner, receive him, Onesimus, as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I'm confident of your obedience. I'm confident of it. And so I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And, and so do Mark Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we would ask just now that you would give us the ability to hear and the courage to obey as you speak to us through your word. For it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. A business executive recently said that success is no accident. You have to determine realistic goals, overcome numerous challenges, and you have to refuse to quit. Well, what is true in the physical realm of business is also true in the spiritual realm of life. What is the goal of any Christian? Paul's been very clear about that, hasn't he? In the book of Colossians. 
He said, we are to live by faith in Christ. In chapter 3, verse 12, he said, you do it with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in forgiveness. Will there be challenges along the way? Well, of course there will be. I mean, we're going from living a life that's all about me, my, my desires, my wants. my It's a self-centered life. We're going from that to living in a way that truly honors the Lord through our redemption in Christ. So there's got to be numerous struggles with that. And we can't afford to quit. We cannot afford to quit. Having clearly explained the goals of the Christian life, Paul now sets forth a challenge to his good friend Philemon. This is the guy who is hosting the Colossian church in his home for worship. Paul shared the gospel with him during one of his missionary trips through Asia Minor. And he and Paul have been friends ever since. But they're really more than friends. They are more than friends. Paul says, are we not partners in the gospel? Keep in mind, Paul's been pinning letters now. While he is under house arrest, he's able to have friends and guests and so forth to come and, and visit him. But while he's there, he's written a letter to the Philippian church. He's written a letter to the Ephesian church. He has written a letter to the Colossian church. And these are letters that are to be read in the churches in Laodicea and in Areopolis. And they are to be delivered now that they are finished, they are complete, they are theonoustos, what the Holy Spirit has given through Paul to these churches. He is now going to send them by his good friend Tychicus. And as he prepares to, to send Tychicus on his way, Paul writes this note to his good buddy Philemon, who is in Colossae. He wants to talk to him about Onesimus. Um, while in Rome, Onesimus, by God's providence, has encountered the Apostle Paul. And, and he wants Philemon to know what a blessing Onesimus has been to his life. And yet he's not going to keep him. He's not going to keep him there with He wants to, but he's not going to do it because there are some things that need to be cleared up first. And so he says, look, as Christians... I expect Onesimus to return to you and make things right. And you, being a partner with me in the gospel, I expect you to forgive him and to receive him as a brother. And I want what you do, Philemon, to be a visual demonstration of these Christian principles that I have set forth in this letter to the Colossian church. I want everybody to see what I'm writing about. I want them to be able to see it in you. You're my illustration. You're my example. And so he says in verse 15, if you consider me a koinonon, this is the, the word from uh, koinonia, back in verse 6, it's translated sharing of your faith. It's, just the, it's the word for which we get fellowship. He's saying we're just not we're not just friends. We're in ministry together, and so it just makes sense, doesn't it? That that I am going to send Onesimus back to make things right with you, and you are going to forgive him and receive him. 
because we're, we're all in ministry. I'm in ministry. Onesimus is now in ministry with me. You are in ministry with me. We are all in Christ. It just makes sense for this to happen. Do you see Paul's logic here? Now, why does he have to make such a strong point of this, though? Can you imagine how difficult this could be for Philemon? I mean, Onesimus not only abandoned his responsibilities and left him in the lurch. I mean, what he took from him possibly could have really financially crippled Philemon. Who knows how much damage it did? And so here Paul is saying to him, regardless, regardless of the damage he's done, I want you to receive him the way you would receive me because we are all in ministry together. And this could be real hard for Philemon to swallow. Real hard. I mean, got to keep in mind, Philemon and Paul are more on the same level here. Philemon is a, is a respected Roman citizen. I mean, and Paul, I mean, Paul was a respected Roman citizen. And, and not only that, but he was an educated Pharisee. He graduated from the school of Gamaliel. And here you got Philemon, who's a well-to-do business owner. I mean, these two guys are pretty much on the same eco-economic uh, uh, eco uh, level. Socio-economic, whatever you want to say. Onesimus? Yeah, not so much. He's one of 60 million conquered people who work within the Roman Empire. He's not a man of distinction. He's not a man of great wealth. He's not a man of great influence. He's a bondservant. A disloyal bondservant who has bolted on the guy for whom he was working. And now you're asking me, a prominent Roman citizen, to receive this guy back like I'm receiving you, Paul? Really? It made me think of a young college student several years ago. <clears throat> he went into a rather prominent church in Palo Alto, California. And um, I think it was Ray Stedman's church. And anyway, he went there on a Sunday. It was full, much like we are this morning. And he gets there kind of late. And he's um, dressed the way they were dressing back then as hippies. I mean, he had the... The, the long jeans that were tattered at the bottom and holes in them. I, I guess that's the style now. Um, T-shirt, long hair, sandals. He's walking down the aisle and he's looking to the left, to the right, and it's fairly full and nobody, nobody is making any effort to move over and offer him a seat. So he ends up walking all the way to the front and probably just trying to make a statement. You know, rather than, than asking someone would they scoot over and let him sit down, he just sits on the floor. And one of the deacons, um, older man, very dignified, well-dressed, suit, vest, tie, gray hair, cane, he starts making his way down the aisle toward this kid. And I, I think everybody there pretty much expected that he was going to ask him to, you know, stop trying to make this statement and just get up come back here we'll get a chair for you. you can sit in the back and not be a disruption to the service 
Instead, this, this old man walks down front and sits down beside the guy. Looks over and smiles at him, shakes his hand, pats him on the back, welcomes him, and sits on the floor next to him. And I don't know if it was Ray or one of the other guys that morning that was, was preaching. I just know that, that when he walked into the pulpit, he said, what I'm about to preach to you this morning, you may not remember. But what you just saw this morning, you will never forget. What you just saw, you will never forget. That's what Paul is saying to Philemon. This is what I want you to do in front of the whole church at Colossae. I want you to receive this guy in the same way that you would greet me. And I'm telling you, it's going to have a lasting impact. It'll be something nobody will be able to forget. And given the fact that we are engaged in ministry together, I expect you, Philemon, I expect you to do this. To treat Onesimus with such loving forgiveness that everyone there is going to see it. What I just wrote to them, you are going to demonstrate to them in living color. And I not only expect you to live out the gospel, but I'm going to do it too. I'm going to do it too. Let me tell you, if he has wronged you at all, if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. Onesimus has no doubt told Paul what he did. I can't imagine him not telling him or, or what he took and how he left. But Paul may not realize at this point the details of just how greatly Onesimus' actions have really impacted Philemon's personal well-being. You see his point? Philemon, you and your personal finances are not the main issue. Financial losses can be recovered. What is the main issue? It's that the Lord be glorified through the lives of his people. That's the main issue. And so however he has wronged you, whatever it is that he has done to you, whatever your total loss is, just charge it to my account. What account? What account do you have, Paul? Do you have money to refund me? Maybe not. I mean, Paul's in prison. So is this just an empty promise with no real substance to it? I don't think so. I mean, that just doesn't seem to be consistent with who Paul is in Christ. I don't think this is an empty promise. So then what is this account? What is it? Does Paul have some wealthy benefactors who are, are financially supporting his missionary journeys and, and are providing for him and so he can, he can pretty much call on them whenever he has a need and they will supply whatever debts need to be paid? Is that what he's talking about? Is that the account? Possibly. Possibly. Maybe, maybe it's the fact that Paul has impacted Philemon's life. To the extent that Philemon's never going to be able to really repay Paul for all that he has done. Is that the account that Paul talks about? I mean, this would be like my buddy Atterbury sending one of his guys over to my house to do some work. 
And the guy that he sends over there ends up just botching the job. And then he leaves. He leaves the job half done. He takes off. He puts me in a bind. He runs back to Atterbury, tells him what he did. What's Atterbury going to say? He's going to say, hey, look, you've got to go back and make things right. You've got to go back and do what you can do. And the guy says to Atterbury, I don't have the means to cover the financial damage that I've done to your pastor. There's no way. So Atterbury sends a note with him that says, hey, Wayne, charge this to my account. Now, does this mean that Atterbury is going to financially reimburse me to cover what this guy has cost me? If you know Atterbury, that's not likely. <laughs> but Atterbury has done so much for me over the years. Whatever this guy cost me, whatever it was, it couldn't possibly equal how much I actually owe John. Whatever Onesimus has taken, listen, it can't possibly equal what Philemon owes Paul. Charge this to my account. And Philemon reads this and realizes that it's because of Paul that he, he has come to this life-altering, eternal destination, faith in Christ. His sin has been eliminated before a holy God. His soul has been redeemed for an eternity. So how can he, kind of like the guy that Christ talked about, remember him? He talked about this guy that was forgiven an enormous debt. And then he goes out and he grabs this fellow who owes him very little and refuses to forgive him and demands that he be punished. How could Philemon be so foolish as to claim that Christ is his Savior, then demand Onesimus be punished? Now, Paul doesn't want Philemon to think for a moment that he's not willing to compensate him for whatever Onesimus has done. And so he takes the pen and with his own hand he writes, I will repay his debt in full. In full. Though you owe me far more than anything Onesimus could possibly owe you, I am writing you this, I owe you. And I'll figure out a way to cover the financial damage that's been done to you. But don't you allow what Onesimus did to you to keep you from doing what is right before the Lord. Onesimus' debt is material. Philemon, yours is spiritual. Onesimus' debt is temporal. Yours, Philemon, was eternal. Maybe it would be helpful for you to understand this if you, if you put this in the cultural context of the day that um, the lowest people of that day within the Roman system were called by the Roman elites sin nobles. Um, and the sin nobles were people who uh, they were of the lower socioeconomic class, they were slaves, they were conquered people, and yet 
they would, they would try to act as though they were more noble than they really were. They, they wanted to act like they were nobility, kind of like the Romans. And the true Roman aristocrats would laugh at them. I mean, it's truly hilarious to see people trying to act as if they're more important than they really are. <laughs> and over time, this term of derision, sin nobles, was shortened to sin nob. And then it was shortened further to just snob. That's where the word snob comes from, the scene novelist. A snob is someone who is all hat and no cattle. If you don't know what that means, you need to ask Ben Stivers. He's a cattleman. He can tell you it's somebody who thinks they're a lot more important than they really are. Whatever Onesimus owes you, Philemon, however he's offended you, your sin against a holy God, I can assure you, is far greater, far more offensive. So I want you to remember how the Lord has treated you with grace. We don't need any spiritual snobs within the church. People who act like they're a lot more important than they really are. Here's how I expect, this is verse 20. This is how I expect to benefit from you. <laughs> I didn't put this in my, my, my notes, but I probably should have. This word benefit um, is the, the word um, onimi, uh, onamei. onamei. It, it's where you get Onesimus from, okay? I'm trying to draw this from, from memory, but, but it's the same word from which you get the word Onesimus. I want this benefit from you. What benefit? What benefit? You will refresh my heart in Christ. Your heart? This is the word splachna. We saw last week, translated in the King James as bowels. It's not talking about the physical heart. It's talking about the seat of one's emotion. You will refresh my heart by demonstrating to the whole church the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Paul said uh, back in verse 7, listen, Philemon, you refresh the hearts of the saints all the time. Now I expect this benefit, same word from which we get Onesimus, I expect this benefit that you will refresh my heart, the overwhelming emotion of gratitude that I'm going to feel when I see how the whole church is impacted by the way you forgive, by the way you accept Onesimus, a bondservant. You know, throughout history, folks, those who claim to be Christian have not done a great job of this. We've not done a great job of receiving those who were born into a different socioeconomic culture than ourselves. I mean, if you're familiar with the history of the AME Church, AME stands for African Methodist Episcopal Church, first major denomination in the Western world. How did it come about? You go back to the beginning of our nation, late 1700s, and there was a church in Philadelphia, St. George's Methodist Episcopal Church. It had a lower area where all the white members sat, and it had a balcony where all of the African Americans sat. And the church needed remodeling. And so everybody in the church, 
everybody was going to buy tiles to, to re-tile the, the front area for, of, of, of uh, the church for worship. And so the, uh, there were some, uh, one Sunday afternoon, a, a few of the African Americans came to the church when no one was there. And they came in and they just wanted to pray over the area where their tiles were to be laid. And while they're praying, one of the deacons who was going through the building, I guess closing up, saw them. And he came into the auditorium and he said, what are you doing? What are you doing? You can't be in here on the lower level. You can only go into the balcony area. And they said, we're, we're praying over the area where our tiles are going to be laid. He said, you can't do that. And he escorted them out. And so they sued for the right to have their own Methodist Episcopal congregation. Because people within that church were not willing to accept others as equals, even though they were both in Christ. That inconsistency is something that Paul finds abhorrent within the church, regardless of where it is. And that must not be the case in Colossae. So Philemon, I expect my heart to benefit from the way I see you treat this brother. Yes, he is a former bondservant. Yes, he is not of your socioeconomic class. Yes, he stole from you. Yes, he violated you. Yes, he left you in a bind. He's now in Christ. All that's been covered by the blood of Christ, just like your sin, Philemon. And so I want the benefit of seeing you treat him with forgiveness and with acceptance. We're partners in ministry, right? He is a partner with me in ministry. This is what I expect of you. And having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. I'm just confident in you, Philip. You're going to go beyond anything that I could imagine. Now, what do you think is going to happen here? How do you think this is going to turn out? Do you know? This is around 62 AD that Paul is writing this. Tychicus is getting ready to take the letter to Philemon. What happens after 62 AD? 50 years later, a guy named Ignatius, he's a pastor in Antioch. He's arrested for his faith. And he is taken to Rome to be put to death by the emperor Trajan. That is in 110 AD. So this is almost 50 years later. And we know that this account is true because it was attested to by guys like Polycarp, uh, Irenaeus, uh, Origen, and, and, a, and, and a lot of others who wrote about this. This guy, Ignatius, is one of the great Christian martyrs of the second century. And on his journey to Rome, just like the Apostle Paul, he writes letters to the various churches. And we still have them. And in his letter to the church at Ephesus, you know what he says? He praises the pastor at Ephesus. Who do you think the pastor was? 
Onesimus. Onesimus? Philemon didn't execute him as other Romans would have done for stealing and fleeing? This one-time bondservant returns to Colossae as a brother in Christ? He is received by Philemon as a partner in ministry? And he's still at it nearly 50 years later. That's right. A Roman aristocrat and a seen novelist? A conquered bondservant in fellowship with one another? I mean, that was something really to see. Far more impressive than an old deacon sitting beside a hippie. Philemon evidently went well beyond. He exceeded Paul's expectations. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I will be granted to you. In other words, I'm coming to see for myself how you will exceed my expectations. I'm coming to see for myself. Paul knew that the case against him was very weak. So he anticipates being released because of the prayers of these Christians in Colossae. And so Lord willing, as soon as he gets out, he wants to come there and see Philemon face to face, eye to eye, and collect on that benefit to be refreshed by what he saw in the church. Seeing Philemon embracing encouraging, refreshing the hearts of all the saints by going beyond what Paul requested. I mean, this is truly monumental. There have always throughout history been inequities. Um, Non-Christians have no record of, of handling this well at all. I mean, if you look at the French, you know, when they had problems with aristocracy, what did they do? They cut the, the head off of the king and 50,000 others. The Russians, what did they do? Well, they killed the czar and his wife and his kids, and then Stalin came in and killed everybody else. Chairman Mao did the same thing. Within the Roman Empire, it wasn't uncommon to have guys like Onesimus put to death as an example to the other 60 million bondservants. You are a conquered people. You work for us. For Philemon to do what he did was amazing. I haven't found in anywhere in history where the Egyptians did that or the Assyrians did that or the Babylonians did that. You don't find that among the Canaanites or the Moabites or the Edomites. You don't find that among the Greeks, the Persians, the Romans. None of them treated those they considered beneath them with the kind of unequal compassion as we see in the church where people are born again in Christ. Jew and Greek, male and female, slave and free. It was revolutionary. Revolutionary. To see people from all these socioeconomic classes on level ground at the foot of the cross. Unbelievable. And as he did at the end of his letter to the church at Colossae, Paul lets Philemon know that Epaphras, 
My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends greetings to you, as does Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Epaphras is uh, a Gentile who's believed to have started that church in Colossae. He had traveled to, to Rome to give Paul an update on the progress that was being made there, along with Laodicea and Areopolis and the rest of the churches of the area. And while in Rome, he was obviously arrested for whatever reasons, probably because he was a Christian and he is now a fellow prisoner with Christ or with, uh, with Paul um, as a prisoner in Christ. Mark, you know who that is. He's the one who recorded the life of Christ for the Romans. He's the one who disappointed Paul on his missionary journey in Acts 15. But he has since become someone that Paul not only trusts, but he truly treasures. Aristarchus, we've talked about before. He also is with Paul, who is under house arrest and is allowed to have these, these visitors. He was a Macedonian Jew from Thessalonica who was seized in that angry mob there in Ephesus in, 9, in Acts 19 when Paul's preaching upset Demetrius and the others who were making a good uh, business out of uh, idols, making these little silly idols and selling them to people, telling them that they had spiritual significance to them. And of course, Paul comes rolling into town with the gospel and then people realize that this, this pagan worship is a bunch of nonsense and it was killing their business. So there's a riot on their hands and Aristarchus is uh, one of the ones that gets arrested for that. He's eventually martyred by Nero. You remember who Nero is. He's the one who killed his own wife and killed his own son and, and, and um, his mother and stepbrother. And he's the one who would cover Christians with skins of a beast and feed them to wild dogs. And then he would um, tie them to posts and set them on fire to light his garden parties. That's the Nero we're talking about here. He would eventually commit suicide at the age of 30. He did all this stuff in his 20s. Tertullian says that he's the one who ordered the beheading of the Apostle Paul. And that was later confirmed by Eusebius, the church historian. And Paul says that uh, Dr. Luke, uh, a non-Jew, is also there. He's, he's uh, Paul's personal physician. Under Paul's apostolic influence, the Theonoustos account of the life of Christ for Greeks is recorded by Luke, as was this uh, book of Acts of the Apostles. And then he adds a word of warning. Do you see it? Look down in your text. Do you see the warning? What's the word of warning? Demas. Demas is the word of warning. Four years later, Paul, writing again from prison, this time for a different arrest, writes to Timothy, young man that he's been mentoring for ministry and he says Demas having loved this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica that's your word of warning I don't want you to think this is a Christopher Columbus type of sermon you know someone said when Columbus left he didn't know where he was going when he got here he didn't know where he was and when he returned he didn't know where he had been and I don't want you to feel that way about this sermon so let me make this very simple as we set goals for how to live life to God's glory, why not just exceed all expectations when it comes to these three areas? Number one, engaging in ministry that can be seen by others. You can say you believe, 
but can people see that you believe? Can they see it? Like they saw it with Philemon. Do they see it in the way you worship? In the way you serve? In the way you forgive? Can they see it? Secondly, may we excel in our love for others to the point that this place, this place, when people come here, just refreshes their hearts. It refreshes them. God's word refreshes them. God's people refreshes them. Their service to the Lord refreshes them. It's just a place where they can come to to be lifted up. And thirdly, May we exceed expectations when it comes to encouraging others in ministry. If you are teaching little children, I just talked to Blake and Calista Eisenhagen back here. They're teaching the four and five-year-olds this morning. They had a room full of mainly boys back there. Um, and they, if, if you're doing that, thank you. But would you also invite others from your small group others from your circle of influence to join you, to come and learn how wonderful it is to instill God's word into the hearts of young people. Recruit other people to do ministry with you. Or if you say, well, teaching's not my thing. I'm much rather clean or rake leaves. I'd, I'd like to clean the property to make it look nice for when people come and worship on Sunday to let them see that we love the Lord. Great, do that and invite others to join you. You know, we're always better doing things together than we are separated. Paul had Philemon and Epaphras and Mark and Aristarchus and Luke and Onesimus. (laughs) Who do you have? Who do you have? Encourage others to participate in ministry with you. And then there's a word of encouragement here. You saw the word of warning, right? Demas. What is the word of encouragement? Grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. As we exceed expectations. You know, when I first began in ministry, my parents traveled to Evansville, where I was first church that I was asked to be the pastor in they spent the weekend with us and, and uh, came to worship. And after worship, I remember we went out to eat at, at KFC. And my dad said, son, if you are going to insist on continue preaching, you're going to starve to death. It was his way of very nicely saying, you're not a very good speaker. You're not. You saw that this morning. I sometimes get tongue-tied or I can't remember things. I'm I'm not a great speaker. I know that. But through diligence and perseverance and dedication, I hope, I hope that I at least exceeded his expectations to where it's it's not my speaking ability that is the issue. It's whether or not I am rightly handling God's word in a way that Christ is always glorified. And so I want to encourage you, do the same thing in your life. You don't have to be the most polished person. 
But don't give up. Don't give up. Because you feel inadequate. I'm absolutely confident that you can love. You can serve. You can live to God's glory. And if he can use somebody like me, he can certainly use you. So I'd encourage you to do that this morning. If you have questions, you can go to the connect table. Or you can go, if you have needs, you can go to the prayer room, which is the library across the hall over here. Uh, If you have even something greater that you want to discuss or whatever, I'm glad to meet with you in my study uh, this week. So just let me know. I'll be glad to meet with you there. Stand with me as we pray together. Lord, we thank you for having recorded this divine word from human history with such accuracy that all these centuries later, the Holy Spirit can still use it to fulfill your holy purposes in our lives and to do so for all eternity. Father, just now, may we leave this place to live to the glory of your name. For it is in Christ we ask it. Amen.